Merry Christmas, Flatters. Are we doing okay? Are we doing good? You made the parking lot good, all that. You look good. You look good. I went to Boot Barn. There you go. So, uh, yeah. hey, uh, hey, so all of our campuses are joined together all over the Denver area right now. We're streaming online, but also over the next couple of weeks uh, through our partner at God Behind Bars, thousands and thousands of men and women who are incarcerated across the country are going to be a, a part of this. Will you just well, uh, wish them a Merry Christmas real quick? Will you do that? Come on. I'm really glad you're here. Hey, before we jump into this, uh, I, I want to kind of do a, a, a shameless plug here. It's like every December, what we do here around Flatirons is that we carve out part of our offerings and, and we look around the planet and see where, where, where like, what's a, a need that, that kind of resounds with God's heart and with our heart. And this, over the past several years, we've done some amazing things. Uh, uh, two years ago, we raised four and a half million dollars to take care of Next Gen. Uh, there's a mental health crisis going on with our kids. And so we've done counseling and, and staffing and all kinds of programs for them, scholarships for them. A couple years ago, we, we bought 75 cars for single moms in the Denver area, change some of their lives. We just keep on going down this road of like, like what does God care about the most? And uh, kind of over the last uh, year, this has really become on our, our heart. Uh, we've, we've carved off four, uh, or picked out four partners, uh, two in uh, foster care uh, uh, to come alongside foster families. I think if you're a foster care family, let me just say this, you're a hero. All right, you are a hero, and I know some of you are here even today, that you give a safe place for kids to land until they can find a permanent home. But being a foster care parent is really, really tough, financially, emotionally, so we're, kind of, we're coming alongside of them, uh, we're, we're supporting them. And then the other, the other uh, thing that we really are, have a heartbeat for um, is uh, the largest financial, or fastest growing financial entity in the world right now. It surpassed uh, all sports, uh, arms dealing, drug dealing, and that is human trafficking, especially with kids. And it's just like, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. And so we are partnering with some organizations here in the United States and across the world to go, not just you know, pray for these kids or send them toys or something like that, but to go and rescue them. Uh, like this church, I love this church. Like we're, we're not sending Bibles, we're sending SWAT vehicles and body armor and stuff like that to go get these kids, rescue these kids, and then put them in rehabilitation so they can get their lives back together and, then, and they, can, they can have that, that life that God meant for them. Uh, over the last three weeks in here, uh, that amount of money that we're gonna give away is is right now at $1.24 million that we're gonna to give to these organizations. So I, I just think that's so good. Um, and you, know, you can get on uh, flatironschurch.com slash Christmas giving. If, if maybe this isn't even your church, you're just here on a holiday or something like that, uh, but, but those, those things really resound with you. You can get on the, that website and you can give directly to those organizations. You don't have to go through Flatirons and, and, and that money will go right to, to them. We have no idea how many of you have given directly to that, but just through, through here, $1.24 million. All right, let, me, let me jump in this. I, again, let me welcome you to Christmas at Flatirons, especially if you're new. Um, um, last night, we, we saw a lot of new people. If this is your first Christmas, at Flatirons, will you raise your hand? Just your first Christmas flight. Let's welcome these, these people. Thank you. We're glad, really glad that you're here. Really good. Yeah, and for some of us, I mean, I mean, the numbers are like double, right? So that means there's a lot of us are at church and we haven't been here in a while, right? And I get it. We're not throwing stones, all right? Uh, maybe like, like as a kid, you got drug off to church. I did every week. My dad was a pastor. My grandpa's a pastor. I am churched, all right? So, um, but then kind of, I went through a time in my life where church got boring and irrelevant and Christians are mean. And so I just stopped can I get an amen there? Anybody? All right. Anyway, so, so I, I stopped going, but there's just something inside of us that says I should still, I should go at Christmas and Easter, 
We call you creasters, by the way. That, we talk about you when you're not here. And, and that's okay. I remember we're, glad, we're, we're glad you're here. Whatever brings you here today. Um, maybe it's like you don't even believe this stuff, but it's just a holiday tradition. Or, or maybe you lost a bed. Or maybe your parents said, you don't get any presents unless you go to church. I, I don't know. Maybe this happened a couple of years ago. Somebody was looking for Walmart and got caught in traffic and came in like looking for the children's section. If that's you, welcome. We are real glad you're, glad you're here. That, here's the thing about coming to church like once or twice a year uh, for holidays. The problem with that, or rather the challenge of that is you kind of expect the same thing as last year, right? Like same songs, or you're gonna sing these songs, and then, then someone like me is gonna stand up here and tell the story of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus born in a manger, and, and some angels show up and then some, some shepherds and then some wise men and then we sing Silent Night and light some candles. And then we all go home and, and, drink, and chug bourbon spiked eggnog. That's my plan, all right? Um, till a mob shows up at my house later today. Anyway, so, and to be honest, some of that's gonna happen. It's already happened. Uh, the, the bourbon's definitely gonna happen. But anyway, but, but I think this year it's gonna be different for you. I think today you're gonna hear something, something new. And I say that because I've been doing this like for 40 years. And what I'm gonna teach you today about this Christmas story um, is brand new to me. I mean, I, I've been reading this Bible for a long time and every time I open it, it's like, oh, there's another thing in there. Before we get into that, let me ask you a question, okay? And I'm gonna ask the same question when we get to the end of, of today, all right? Have you ever asked God for a sign like that he's there? Like, 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 are you there, right? Like I, like, like, I remember when I was a little kid, I asked God for a sign, I'd, and I'd do something like this. Hey, God, if you're there, move that pencil. And I'd be like. And, it, and if it would have moved, I probably would have pooped my pants. I mean, it's like, oh, no, no, Jesus is here. Anyway, but, uh, but, but probably the weirdest sign I ever asked God for was when, when, I, when I was a little kid, um, I, I watched this Christmas movie, TV show, I don't remember, all right? And in that movie, um, on Christmas Eve at midnight, animals could talk. That would be so awesome, all right? All right, so, so I thought, I'm gonna test this, okay? So one Christmas Eve, I made my, I was like eight, nine years old, right? I made my stay up till midnight and I kidnapped my sister's little dog, Susie, and put her on the bed and, and then I looked at her and like, okay, say something. God, I need a sign to make, make Susie talk. And you know what she did? <laughs> just, just looked at me, all right? And, and, and my eight-year-old faith took a hit that night, all right? I really did, but then I realized a couple years later, all right, Susie was a Pekingese. So she was Chinese. I should have gone, Niha Ma. And then she would have gone, ah. Oh! And we would have kicked it off. We'd have been like buddies, you know, right? But I didn't. I asked God for a sign. I didn't get one. Anyway, I'm, I'm so weird. I, I, um. So let me, let me explain something. I'll give you a little context for where we're going today. Uh, since August here at Flatters, we have been working our way um, through the, we only made it through the first 11 chapters of the Bible where you see not just God's plan for, uh, for us and for all of creation, but in the first 11 chapters of the Bible, we see how it all got went so wrong that we end up with the jacked up world that we live in. It's all right there in the first 11 chapters, right? And then the overall theme of this semester has pretty much been hidden in plain sight, meaning uh, we have been taking a look at some, some, some pretty familiar passages that have been in our Bible since it was written thousands of years ago, but we slowed way, way, way down to look at some really weird stuff in the Bible. There's some weird stuff in the Bible. And usually when we get to the weird stuff, we either just skip over it because I don't even understand that. Or, or worse yet, we've heard some of these stories so many times, we assume, well, I know what that means. And, and, and what we've looked at is maybe we don't. Maybe they mean something different. But woven through all the pages of the Bible, even the weirdest parts of the Bible, is an ongoing promise from God that death and separation and condemnation and guilt and, and shame, they're only temporary. And at a certain point in time, God would send someone, a deliverer, a savior, a Messiah, a Christ, it's all the same, all right, who will reverse the consequences of sin and rebellion against God and restore, and I like how the Bible puts it, and make all things new. 
Like put it back the way it was supposed to be in the beginning. And here, here's the thing, okay? We have the, we have the, the luxury of, of looking back over history and seeing how it all happened. That's why we're here today, right? But, but, but leading up to it happening, and even in the moment it was happening, what we're gonna be looking at today, all right? No one knew what God was doing. No one knew how he was gonna do it or when he was gonna do it. As a matter of fact, one writer in the, Paul, in the Bible, his name's Paul, and I'm gonna quote from him quite a bit today. He actually says that what we're talking about today, there was a time in history where this was a secret. No, nobody really knew about it. Like, this is what he says. He says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for us, for our glory. None of the rulers, and I put the word demonic in there because in context of what he's talking about, he's saying there's some really evil stuff happening in the world around us, all right? And we, we talked about this this fall. But none of the, the demonic rulers of this age understood this, this mystery, all right? For if they had, if they knew what was going on, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Meaning, if Satan and his spiritual cohorts had realized that by crucifying Jesus on that cross, they were actually playing right into his hand to pay for our sin and death, they never would have killed him. Right? If they had known what was really going on. So, so all through the Bible, there are these, these hints and these pieces of what Jesus will be and what he will do when he gets here. But here's the thing about the Bible. It's not written like a book that we would write today. It's not written in sequential order. This happened and this happened and this happened. All right? As a matter of fact, my, one of my professors says, the Bible's more like a mosaic and there's pieces here and here and here. And you gotta stand back and kind of assemble them all together to get the bigger picture. But God, see, God is not a God who wants to hide himself from us. He wants us to know him. And from the beginning, he tells us that, and this is a really, really important phrase, right? If we will pay attention, he will send us signs and signals that he is moving or about to move in our lives, in our world. And one of the primary ways that he has done that throughout history is through the stars, through the heavens, if we're paying attention. See, in the opening verses of creation, back in page one, Genesis chapter one, right? God says that he created the sun and the moon and the stars, all right? And then he says this, all right? He, he let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and, and for years. So the Jewish people, they would study the stars, all right? And, and they considered them to be mathematically perfect. By the way, we do too. All of our scientists, when they look through those Hubble telescopes, they're going, this is amazing. It all makes sense. It's all mathematically all kind of playing off of each other, right? So, but they believe that, that, that the perfection of the heavens reflected the mind of God. And they, they based their calendar and the passing of time based on the position of the stars. And they set their holidays and their festivals according to the movement and the alignment of the planets and the stars. And by the way, we still do that today. That's how we set our calendars. Right? But they went another step further. They considered that these lights in the sky to be one of the methods that God was communicating to them what he was doing in their lives. So that's how the world began on page one. But then Jesus himself says the same thing about how the world will end someday. This is Jesus talking. He says, and there will be, there's a word, signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man. They'll see Jesus coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, this is important. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption, your salvation is drawing, drawing close. So, so all through the Bible, we are told that when God is doing something or about to do something in our world, Jesus says, straighten up. Raise up your head. In, in other words, pay attention and look up because God is about to intervene in the world and do something new if we're paying attention. 
So that's the beginning and, and, and the end. But in the middle of the Bible, that the guy I was talking about, Paul, he goes so far to say this, is that if we will just simply pay attention to nature, to mountains, to, to, to the sky, to the oceans, to the birth of a baby, just, just, just look at it, right? He says that we can know about God. Look at this. This is Paul. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. And I'm going to change the pronouns here because I'm going to say it's written to us. All right? It'll still be okay. Look at this. For what can be known about God is plain to us because God has shown it to us. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. You can see it. And ever since the creation of the world, where? In the things that have been made. To what extent? So that we are without excuse. So, so Paul is writing the, the, the same letter about, about peop, to people about this is who Jesus is. And this is what he has done. This is what he's done through his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension back to heaven. And then Paul goes on in the same letter. And he says, Any, this is, so this is we're going to land in just a few minutes, right? Anybody who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can be reconnected back. All guilt and condemnation. Anybody who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. But then he asks a series of questions. He says, but how can people call on the name of Jesus unless they know about Jesus? Duh. All right. And how will people know about Jesus unless they hear about Jesus? And how will they hear about Jesus unless somebody goes and tells them about Jesus? So I, I, I've, I've read that a hundred times. But then he asks a follow-up question that I have missed in all my years of reading the Bible. Here's, a, here's the follow-up question. But I ask, have they not heard? Have they not already heard? Then he answers it. Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So leave that up there, okay? Who's he talking about? Whose voice has gone out? Whose words have already gone out to the ends of the world so that every one of us has heard from God? And let's be honest, you've heard from God. You've heard, you've, you've felt him, you've sensed him. Well, if you look at that last sentence, it's in quotation marks, right? Meaning Paul is quoting from another place in the Bible. In this case, it's Psalm chapter 19. So let's see whose voice this is in Psalm 19. It goes like this. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. I mean, we've all heard it. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So leave that up there. We find out who's speaking to us. Who is it? The heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims God's handiwork. The day pours out speech. The night reveals knowledge. There's no person on the planet who hasn't heard God's voice. Why? Because this is the part that Paul quotes here. Because their voice goes throughout the earth and their words to the end of the world. See, Paul is taking what God says has been since creation and continually does and applying it to stars and planets and heavens and skies and day and night. And he says this, they're all teaching us, they're all speaking and proclaiming, Jesus is here. Jesus is born, Jesus lived, Jesus died for our sin, Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered death. Jesus is the one who was promised from God. Jesus is the Messiah. The heavens declare it. Now, why am I telling you all that? And here's why, because the people who wrote the Bible and the people who first read the Bible, they believed, and they believed it because God said it was true, they believed that if you and I, if we will pay attention to what's going on in the heavens, it would be possible to determine that God is doing something in our world, in our life. Now, before we go any further, let me just clear up the weirdness, okay? Some of you are going, well, good luck, all right? Um, let me tell you what I'm not talking about. And I say weird because it's going to get so weird today. I just, just buckle up. All right, anyway, well, I'm not, I'm not talking about that brand of astrology that says stars control your destiny. 
That's that horoscope stuff or your Chinese menu, you know, right? No, no, no. See, that claims that if you were born under a certain month, under a certain sign or a constellation, that somehow the stars determine your destiny, your personality, and even your fate. Write this down. That's not true, right? The Jewish people and we as, as followers of Christ, we must see that as absolute heresy. The stars do not control anyone's fate. How can you say that? Because they're flaming gas balls in the sky, that's, that's science, okay? Only God determines fate or a person's destiny. But God, according to his word, this isn't even my opinion, all right? God can and does use those flaming gas balls in the sky to communicate a message that goes like this. Pay attention to me. I'm about to intervene in your world and do something new, and it, you will see it if you're paying attention. So straighten up. Lift up your head. So in our remaining time, some of you are going, well, what's this have to do with baby Jesus? So much, all right? So, so in our remaining time, I wanna look at some very familiar characters from the Christmas story who were paying attention to what was happening because they made their living studying the stars. Today, we're gonna look at the wise men, okay? The, the, the wise men, all right? So, so we're in Matthew chapter two, if you have your Bible, all right? Uh, and if you, hey, listen, if you don't have Bibles, we have free Bibles stacked in the back of all of our auditoriums. And here's a last minute shopping thing. If you forgot to buy something for somebody, steal a Bible, and just go home and go, I was thinking about you. There you go, you know? And they'll go, you're so spiritual, right? Yeah, it's stolen, but that's okay, right? It's not stolen, they're, that's, they're, they're for you to take home. But Matthew chapter two, very, sorry, I'm not sorry. Anyway, so, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So time out here, okay? So let me tell you what's going on here, right? So at this point in history, this is just historical fact, the Roman Empire conquered that whole part of the world, and King Herod is Rome's like puppet king. Like he works for, for Rome. So that's one character. Then we have these wise men, these magi, all right? There's no mention how many of them there were, but they're from some other country to the east of Israel. And they've come to Jerusalem, and I'll use their words, looking for the newborn king of the Jews. And the reason they're looking for the newborn king of the Jews is because something in the stars says he's being born right now. All right, and we're gonna get back to that. And it's, it's gonna, today's gonna blow your mind, all right? But, but they, here's the thing, they, they made a mistake, all right? They stopped by the palace of the current king of the Jews, Herod, and asked for directions, and it doesn't go well. Look at this next verse. When Herod the king heard this, about this little baby being born, right? He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, that's very, very, very important, okay? All Jerusalem was troubled because King Herod is troubled, because when King Herod is troubled, everybody runs for cover. Like, run, right, right? Yeah, this is, again, history. This isn't, this isn't just in the Bible. This is in, in, in other books that they have, they've discovered. Historically, King Herod was a paranoid schizophrenic who, who was convinced everybody was trying to steal his throne. So if he thought you had plans to steal his throne or his crown, he had you killed. He had so many people killed. He, he executed one of his wives, all right, three of his own kids, his brother-in-law, and countless others. Uh, when Caesar Augustus up in Rome found out how many bodies were piled in Herod's courtyard, he says it's safer to be Herod's dog than one of his family members. So Herod is nuts, okay? And he just got triggered, all right? So verse seven. He got a plan. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. He meant kill him. That's what he meant. Anyway, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going 
There you go. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And when Herod finds out that he's been tricked, he has every baby boy, two years and younger, in that part of the country executed. It's genocide, right? All right, but an angel tells Joseph, take Mary and the baby, and they escape to Egypt until after Herod is dead. And that's a Christmas story. But I want, I want to go back to those magi, what got them there in the first place. So let's talk, let's talk about magi real quick, all right? So, or wise men, all right? That's a sanitized way of saying they were pagan astrologers, all right? They weren't Jewish. They weren't religious. They weren't Christians, there weren't any Christians yet, right? They, they weren't kings. There's no mention of three of them. That comes from a song, all right? Or maybe three gifts, or maybe three wives. I don't know, right? They, they come to give gifts to Jesus. Here's what we know about them, right? They, they were from another Middle Eastern, maybe even Far Eastern country. They were scientists. They were astronomers. They were mathematicians. And they studied stars and planets and what those things might be communicating by their, by their movement and their placement. The question is, and this is what we spend the rest of our time on, what they see up there? What, what, what did they see up there in the stars that made them pack up the camels and go, let's go find him? So I'm, I'm gonna throw something out to you that's pretty new to me, even though it's been right there in my Bible for like 2,000 years, I just missed it. And honestly, it blows my mind in a really, really good way. And here's what I know, because I know this church pretty well, right? Not everybody's gonna agree with me what I'm about to say, and you'd be wrong, but that, that's all right, right? But some are gonna go, that's speculation. You're getting in the car and go, I, that's conspiracy theory. Okay, right? You can make up your own mind, right? Heaven and hell does not you know, weigh in on this, on how you land on this, right? I wanna look at a passage of scripture that I have never associated with the Christmas story, but after today, I don't think you'll ever be able to look back and go, no, that's, 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 that's Christmas, all right? It's not found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the biographies of Jesus. It's found in another book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Ooh, the spooky book, right, right, right. And so, so if, you, if you have a Bible, it's in the very back of your Bible, Revelation chapter 12. As you're finding that, um, uh, let me just give you a little history of Revelation. So Revelation was written by one of Jesus' best friends, John, all right? It's the last book to be written and to be included in the Bible, all right? John, this is what the book of Revelation is, John is given the privilege of prophetically seeing and then writing down how, this pre how the world, this present age, comes to an end with the second coming of, of Jesus, all right? Now, several times, if you read through the book of Revelation, you'll find this phrase is that John says, I looked up in the heavens and I saw this happening, or I saw that. And in Revelation chapter 12, that's just one of those times. So here's what we're gonna, we're gonna read through it several times. We're gonna read through it all the way through, and then we're gonna go back and we're gonna break it down to see what might be happening, and then you can make up your own mind. And then we'll sing Silent Night, Light Candles, Go Home, okay? All right, Revelation chapter 12, the Christmas story. Here he goes. And a great sign appeared in heaven. So John's looking up, all right? Here's what he saw. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns, on his head seven diadems of crowns. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. 
She gave birth to, this is important, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Okay, so you can go home and put a red dragon in your nativity set. It's just blow people's minds. All right, so, 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 so John's looking in the heavens, the stars, and he sees a pregnant woman about to give birth. Well, who's she giving birth to? If you skip down in your Bible to verse five, she gives birth to a male child, one who will rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That means justice. And that is a direct quote from Psalm chapter two, which is a prophecy and a description of the coming Messiah. So the one thing we know from those three paragraphs immediately is this, what John is seeing in the stars is the birth of Jesus. And the reference to her child being caught up to God is referring to Jesus' resurrection and ascension back to heaven because Satan, the dragon, all through the Bible, is not able to defeat him. Now that's awesome. That's cool. It gets cooler. All right? If that, all right, right? So what if John is staring at literal stars and he sees what he sees in literal stars. That means there was a moment in history when we were given a description of how those actual stars were all aligned that would paint the picture that John could see. And not only that, this is what we're living in, in the time we do now, we can take all the data, all that description in that paragraph, we can plug it into a computer and run an astronomy program backwards and come up with a date when all those elements when all those stars lined up in the sky over Jerusalem. So that's what we're gonna do. This is so awesome. All right, so there, let's see it. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So follow me, all right? So this is the sky, right? So you see the sun and, and you see the moon. And then that, that, that line there, that's called an ecliptic. That's a line that astronomers will draw to track the movement of the constellations. There's a lot of constellations up there. I have an app on my phone. I can go outside and go, there's Aries, there's Pisces, all right, right? But I want, what I want to do is, that's all of them, okay? Some of you going, I'm one of those. Um, don't say that. All right, so anyway, I want to zoom in on Virgo, okay? All right, the, the constellation Virgo. Now you notice there's the sun and the moon. And the sun is in the midst of the woman, the Vir Virgo, virgin. It's the only constellation named female, a woman. So it's not hard to figure this out. Okay, you got Virgo, and if you look close up there, there's 12 stars around her head. But again, she's the woman with the 12 stars, the virgin who's about to give birth. The sun is in her midst, and the moon is at her feet. It's in the stars. Now you'll notice above her head, right, the astronomy program that shows Regulus and Jupiter. They're not mentioned in Revelation 12, but if you put all that information from Revelation 12 into that astronomy program, these things pop up. Say, so, well, what's the big deal about Regulus and Jupiter? Well, Jupiter is considered the king planet because it's the biggest one. And Regulus was viewed as the, the king star because it's one of the brightest stars. And there was a time in history where they're overlapped. They're superimposed on one another from the view from Jerusalem. And for a short time, their brightness is multiplied. And if you're one of those old ancient magi guys, that's gonna get your attention because everything in that picture is associated with kingship. So to review, we have, we have the constellation Virgo, virgin, which is the only constellation that represents a woman. And for 20 days, Virgo is clothed with the sun, but the exact day when the moon was under her feet, and at the same time, all right, Regulus and Jupiter intersect from the view over Jerusalem, that could only happen. This is how precise this is, right? In an 80-minute time window, way back when. Astronomy is linked to time. We can calculate the exact moment, not the month, not the, like the minute when that happened. 
So, so, what, so what's above the constellation Virgo? It's the lion. It's Leo, right? Now, what does that mean? If, 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 what does lion mean to a Jewish person? Well, the lion is the sign of what tribe? Anybody? Judah, right? Judah is the tribe of King David and the tribe of the coming promised Messiah King. So you have Judah, the king constellation, right? You have Regulus, the king star. You have Jupiter, the, the, the king planet, all intersecting in, in Leo. And you, and you have to imagine the, the Magi, you know, they're talking about this. You know, they look at each other like, do you see what I see? That's a, that's, come on, that's a joke. Uh, you guys need to wake up. All right, uh, like, 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 do you see that? All right, like, what's that, what's that story about the Jewish king, right? Like, what tribe was he supposed to come? Oh, yeah, uh, Judah. Yeah, well, let's go find him. In the future, one of Jesus' titles is, he's the lion of uh, Judah. If, he's, if you're around Flatters Long, we sing songs. He's the lion of Judah. He's the lamb that was slain. And we can push into this even a little bit further, right? Uh, if you notice below Virgo's feet in modern astronomy programs, we have two constellations. One's Libra, the other is Scorpio. In the ancient world, they were one constellation. It was like a giant scorpion with big pinchers. And scorpions in Bible times were sometimes referred to as dragons. But you have another option for the dragon, and that would be Hydra, also located just below Virgo at her feet. So would they have been thinking Hydra is the dragon at the woman's feet? Or would they have been thinking about, about Scorpio? And it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, you have, you have a drag, two dragon choices, right? He's ready to devour the child when the child is born. Now look at that, right? You got a lot going on there, right? There's the intersection of Regulus and Jupiter. It's in Leo, the Lion of Judah. You have the pregnant virgin, the sun in her midst, the moon at her feet. You have 12 stars, and then you've got this dragon going on. You put that in the computer. There is a small window of time when all these things are present at the same time, and that is in 3 B.C., but we can get even more specific, and this part's gonna freak some of you out, right? September 11th, 3 BC. It's the only 80 minute time window, right? When all those things were present in the sky over Bethlehem. And I'm not gonna touch that. Some of you going, like, that's a conspiracy theory. Yeah, I can't do that from up here. If you wanna meet me down here afterwards, let's go. All right, but anyway, but I'm not gonna do it right now. But I, but I wanna talk about September 11th, 3 BC, because that date also corresponds with something more important. It corresponds to a Jewish holiday called Rosh Hashanah. It's the Jewish New Year. It's the Day of Trumpets. It also marked the inauguration day for every new Davidic king of Israel. This is when people celebrate their new king, which also explains why Herod freaked out. Because on the day that people should have been celebrating him, the wise men show up and they say, you're not even the legitimate king of Israel. The real king of Israel and of the heavens has just been born and we've come to worship him and to celebrate him, not you. We were led here by his star. Where's your star? Right, and he lost his mind. And you look at all that and go, Jim, that's just a coincidence. Really? Oh, maybe. Or maybe the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky proclaims his handiwork. Go, go, go back to, to Paul, what he wrote uh, in the book of Romans. He says, all of creation testifies about Jesus. He's real, you can trust him. The heavens declare, the voice goes out to every person on the planet. This is Jesus. And he goes through all of that, but then right after, when he says that, Paul writes, even though God has shown himself to everyone. And again, I, I, let's personalize this. You've felt God reach out to you. You've felt God tap you on the shoulder, right, right? And Paul says, he's reached out to everybody. But then he asks, but some people, they won't listen. They won't patient. I don't want it to be true. I don't want to believe in Jesus. Why? Why do we fight this so hard? And I'm going to, I'm almost done. I'm going to make a statement. It's going to, it's going to hurt some of your feelings. I don't care. 
<coughs> pray through it, all right? <coughs> but I think you, maybe later today, you'll go, I think he was right. Here's my statement. You make a horrible king of your own life. <coughs> you make a, a horrible queen of your own life. You make a worse God. But when you run your own life, it just doesn't go well. Let's go back to King Herod. The one thing that King Herod never possessed. I mean, he was rich. He had palaces. He had authority. I mean, I mean he could do anything he wanted, right? The one thing that King Herod never possessed was peace. He was a mess. See, when, when, you, when you are king or queen of your own life, you live your whole life like him. You live in paranoia. You're trying to protect and defend what you've built for yourself. And I, I, I was I riding my truck the other day and I was thinking about this talk today and I looked at my own life and I would say this, almost everything that I am currently stressed out about, and there's a list. The parts of my life that steal my energy and my joy, the parts of my life that I'm trying so hard how to figure out, I gotta fix that, but I can't fix it, are the parts of my life that I am trying to be king of. Right? And I just keep plowing ahead and trying to fix and control all the outcomes and try to control the people around me. If they just get their act together and do what I say. And every time I do that, it just makes things worse, not better. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah, okay. I can really, I, I wish there were other people I could relate to in the story, but I, I, I'm connected to Herod. So I, I have a, a couple questions, all right? For, first thing goes like this. Would I be accurate? Would I be close that the one, thing, <clears throat> the one thing that you want for your life that you don't currently have, you're not gonna get it under a tree tomorrow. Nobody in this room can give it to you. Right? You can't go find it. Right, right. The one thing that you want for your life that you don't currently have is peace. When, when was your last silent night? When was the last time you had 24 hours in a row that you weren't worried or stressed out or freaking out about something? It's been a while for me. One more question, all right? What is it you're looking for? This is my original question. What is it you're looking for in a God? They say, I can believe in that, I can trust him. What sign, what sign would it take for you to say, amen, I believe, I trust him? And honestly, are you paying attention? Because maybe even if it's written across the sky, are you paying attention to what might be right in front of you right now? Maybe that's why you're here. This is your sign. So we're all looking for a sign. As you study the life of Jesus, as he walked around teaching, everybody wanted Jesus to do something for him. Hey, Jesus, if you'll heal my leg, then I'll believe in you. If you'll fix my child, then I'll believe in you. If you'll change my circumstances over here. Right, and there's nothing wrong. I don't know why you came here today, right? I have a feeling you need something from God, right? A sign, a, you need him to fix something in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. Ask him. Ask him. I was listening to my friend Joby, who's a preacher down in Jacksonville. He says, he says, you know what? Of all the things that we, you know what? We're not, we're not mistakers who need a better life coach. We're sinners who need a savior, right? And so you're looking for a sign that you can trust God. It's not gonna be found in moving pencils across your desk or burning bushes or I don't even, not even in giant stars, you know, Here's your sign, you ready? Here's your sign. It will be found on a cross in Jerusalem where a man named Jesus, whose birthday we're celebrating tomorrow, right? Left heaven, came to earth and laid down his life to pay for your sin and my sin and reunite us with a God who loves us. He does not hate us and he wants us back in his life. He's the Lion of Judah and he's the Lamb that was slain to save you and me from our sin. That's your sign. He loves you. He loves you. Now, based on what you've done, you can't do something 
really good and make him love you. He loves you. And that's why he sent Jesus to us. There's your sign. Okay, get your candles out. It's my favorite time. Here we go. Why is that though? Why is this? Like, you're, you know, I, this is my favorite part. You're gonna go home later today and go, how was the Christmas Eve service? Goes, oh, they sing Silent Night and lit candles. You won't remember anything I said. And I, I don't care. It's all right. I don't... I told, the, I told leaders, I told the elders, I told the staff, we're gonna, we're gonna light, maybe, we're gonna light candles on Christmas Eve till they fire me or I'm dead, whichever comes first, right? But why, why, why is it? And some of you, at last night some people cheated and they're not going to heaven, so don't, don't jump the gun, all right? All the, I'm watching campuses too, right? What is it about this that just fascinates us? I, like in a really, really dark place, why is it you see a light and you immediately are drawn to that? Why is it if you go outside you know, one night this week, maybe you gotta get away from the relatives, whatever, whatever that is, you go outside and you look up and you're gonna look at the stars and go, <gasps> and why do you, why would you like, automatically think of God? Like, wow, why? why? And I, I can't prove this, but I just wonder if the way God created us, there's this intuitive, innate drawing towards light in darkness because something reminds us that it's true, that, that he's the light of the world. And, and God sent his son, the light of the world, into our world and the darkness cannot overcome it. And again, I don't know why you came here, but I'm gonna go out on a limb here and here's, here's what this, these next few moments give me, hope. Anybody need some hope? Because the world's crazy. But there's a light that shines in the darkness. And in a minute, you know, I'm gonna light some candles and it's gonna make its way to you. And here's what we do at all the campuses, right? We're gonna lift these things up in the, in the air. And you know what? The, the world will get better and brighter. And, and, and something will change inside. I, don't, I don't, can't even explain it. So all our campuses, let's stand up together. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing Silent Night and... And we're gonna light up our world. So Father, in this holy moment, in this silent, special moment, we're gonna hold a little, little piece of fire that represents something so much more. It represents Jesus coming to us. This is our sign that God loves us. He sent Jesus to us. And so we worship him. We praise him. And we say his wonderful name. His, it's Jesus. And in that name we pray. Amen.